Good morning, GBC family. Welcome to Baptism Sunday. Hey, for a lot of you, it might be your first time here, and we really want to welcome you. Maybe you're here to see someone get baptized. You know, there's 21 people getting baptized today. Praise God. So because of that, we're going to have a shorter message than normal, right? So, so for those of you with short attention spans, that's a good thing. But uh, we're going to dive right in, my little pun right there, so to speak. Um, so let me start by saying that I love that over the last two weeks, uh, Zach and Gary both preached on repentance. And why is that a big deal? Well, if you look at this graph up here on the screen, um, that represents how many times repentance has been preached on going back to about 1540. Or, you think about the Bible was first mass produced in, four, in, in, uh, in the 1400s, and there was a revival shortly after that where there was a resurgence of pre uh, preaching on repentance. But since then, it's waned to almost nothing. And that's actually pretty alarming because according to God's word, repentance is necessary for salvation, right? If we hope to go to heaven, then repentance is a necessary part of that. And I make this point because while this may be common knowledge for many of you, I often encounter, I often encounter people who are confused by this. Now, that could happen for several reasons. One of them might be because they were led be to believe that salvation comes by repeating some words that someone told them to say. Sometimes it's also because uh, they're just not sure what repentance is. Maybe they see it as essentially turning away from behavior that God says is bad. And that might sound something in their head like, I, ha I have to stop drinking. Okay, I have to stop gossiping. I have to stop being angry with my family. I have to keep my eyes where they belong. And if I can do that, if I can successfully do that, then maybe when I die, God will look at my life on balance and accept me. Well, have you ever thought of repentance that way? That is not the repentance that leads to salvation. What that is, is behavior modification. Uh, we're going to look really quickly at Acts chapter 26, which is one of the verses that I listed in your bulletin. There's many, great many verses in your bulletin that talk about how uh, repentance is necessary for salvation. Acts 26 is one of them. And uh, in it, uh, Luke says that he preached to everyone so that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. What's his point? Well, changing our behavior is not salvation repentance, or it's not what's going to get us into heaven. Changing our behavior comes after repentance. So what is it? What is repentance? Well, I promise in about 18 minutes we will get there, okay? But for now, let's get into uh, this remarkable chapter we're looking at today. It's Acts chapter 3, if you guys have your Bible on you. Uh, and it's a, cha a chapter that documents an incident, which I'm calling a blistering but gentle confrontation. What happened in this chapter was huge, and it's a long chapter, so I'm going to paraphrase most of it. 
I'm actually just going to focus in on four words. So here we go. Toward the end of the day, around three o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John, who are two of the sons of thunder, right? Peter and John walk into the public square of the temple and they see this guy who had been born so horribly crippled that for the entirety of his life from birth, he had been carried to places where he could beg for money, okay? I, I put up this picture because it kind of cracks me up. I love how these artist renditions of biblical accounts are always so dramatic and flowery like a Hallmark movie. This was not like that. This was scary, it was chaotic, it was messy. It, it set people back on their heels. So, just so you know, Peter, uh, Peter gets this guy's attention and he says, look at me. And then he speaks the name of Jesus. He picks him up off the ground and the man is healed so completely and instantly that he begins to run around, jumping up and down, shouting praises to God and clinging to Peter and John. And this draws the attention of hundreds and hundreds of people. So that's what happened. And the whole point of that was meant to shock people and get their attention, and it works. So here's what happens next. We're going to start at verse 11, and this is where the brash, fiery, loud, in-your-face persona of Peter comes alive. Verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, people of Israel, why are you surprised? You are looking at us as if it were our own power or goodness that made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors gave glory to Jesus, his servant, but you handed him over to be killed. Pilate decided to let him go free, but you told Pilate, you did not want Jesus. You did not want the one who was holy and good, but asked Pilate to give you a murderer instead. And so you killed the one who gives life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. It was faith in Jesus that made this crippled man well. You can see this man and you know him. He was made completely well because of trust in Jesus and you all saw it happen. So basically what Peter does is he grabs their attention and then backs them up against the wall as if he were nose to nose with all of them. And he says, the undeniable miracle that you just witnessed happened because of Jesus, the Messiah, God in the flesh, who because they all knew the Old Testament, they all knew was coming. And he says, you killed him. It was a brutal confrontation. Can you imagine being in that crowd? Among these people were the very same people who screamed, crucify him. They were the very people who spit into the open wounds on his back as he was carrying his cross. They weren't their second cousins. They didn't read about it in the paper. They were there. They did this. 
And now they were faced with the reality that Jesus actually was who he said he was, and they had no escape. So what does hard-charging Peter do now? Does he condemn them? Does he mock them and ridicule them? Does he say, you should have known? I told you. No. His tone actually becomes gentle and gracious and loving, and he quiets down, maybe even to a whisper, and he says, brothers and sisters, I know you did these things to Jesus because neither you nor your leaders understood what you were doing. God said through the prophets that his Christ would suffer and die, and now God has made these things come true in this way. And here it is, verse 19, which is a nuclear bomb of grace and mercy. He says, so you must change your hearts and lives. Come back to God and he will forgive your sins. So God sends his man Peter to knock these people back on their heels and when they're faced with the terror of their monumental sin, instead of smashing them, God says, come back to me. That's what this chapter is all about. It's all about the grace of repentance. Come back to God. I want you to notice that God sets the bar here. His call to repent was made to the people who did the worst thing that's ever been done. These were the very people who sent the Son of God to the cross. Whatever you've done, whatever I've done, as bad as it is, it's not that bad. It doesn't reach that level. God sees you and me in all of our sin, and he says, come back to me. That's God's call to repentance. So how do we do that? How do we come back to God? Do we do that by modifying our behavior? No. The repentance that leads to salvation is not behavior modification. Now, I want to show you what it is in the words of Jesus and what I'm calling repentance in a sentence. This is how we can come back to God. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself take up his cross, and follow me. What does he mean by that? And how is that not behavior modification? I mean, our common understanding of deny myself, doesn't that mean that when God says something is bad, I have to avoid that, even if I really want it? What about take up your cross? Doesn't that mean that instead of having what I want, I have to take up my own cross of suffering for the sake of Christ? Well, we should be very wary of our fleshly desires, and the Christian life not only includes suffering, it's promised. But however, this is only the barest surface of what Jesus meant by that, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And if we limit it to that, we totally miss the point. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the word deny. 
In Luke chapter 22, Jesus has been arrested and was standing trial in front of the high priest and Peter is waiting outside to see what happens. And a woman sees him and accuses him of being Jesus's follower. So starting at verse 57, but he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little while later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. It's the same word. To deny is actually to disown or to denounce. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he says, deny yourself. So to deny myself then is the intentional disowning of myself as the primary authority. He's saying, when he says this, he's saying up till now you have been the Lord of your life. But if you wanna follow me, that can no longer be true. To deny myself is to abandon the idea that I am the, the authority. So how about take up your cross? What does that mean? Well, consider that when Jesus said this, he hadn't been crucified yet, and they didn't know he was going to be crucified. And so this had to have been, the, the symbolism of this had to be different for them. Well, crucifixion at the time was reserved for the most extreme of criminals. The authorities didn't just wanna make these people dead they wanted to make an example from them. They wanted to send a statement both to the criminals to themselves, themselves and to everyone witnessing it. So the one being crucified was forced to carry the instrument of their death to the place of their crucifixion. And what it symbolized is that they had been completely conquered and they were now in total submission to the actual authority. That symbolism was widely understood. So to take up your cross meant to them that they were to be conquered by and totally submit to the authority of Jesus. Repentance fundamentally means a change of mind. It means that something inside you has changed, which means that the repentance that is salvation looks like this. You are not Lord, Christ is. Essentially, I have to step down from the throne of my life and invite Christ to sit there instead. Now, what about the follow me part that comes after that? Well, that comes after that, or as a result of the repentance that is salvation. Like we read in Acts chapter 26 at the beginning, repent and then do works worthy of, of repentance. Before we can even possibly repent of our sins or our behavior, we must first repent of our sin or the very nature or essence of who we are without Christ. Without Christ, we are dead in our sin and only Christ can make us alive. Once that repentance take place, takes place, we are saved from eternal death and the rest of our lives is a daily engagement in the repentance of sins or the turning away from sins and turning toward Christ or following Christ. It's pointless to try to do this backwards or try to follow him with behavior modification in the hopes that we'll be saved through our own efforts. It's like 
a dead branch lying on the ground, connected to nothing, trying to grow its own leaves. Pointless. Dr. Rick Philander said, salvation repentance is the change of mind necessary for a sinner to trust in Christ for the deliverance from sin. If a man says that he has turned from his sin, but has not turned to the remedy for sin, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then he has not really repented. No matter how many tears he shed, he may have shed, or how many changes he has promised to make in his behavior. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and having been saved by the atoning work of Christ on the cross, follow him. The story of the picture, or the story of the thief on the cross, gets a significant amount of attention because it appears to be unique and therefore incredible. We have a difficult time identifying with that man, his story and his salvation, because he didn't do anything after he was pronounced by Jesus as saved. He didn't get baptized. He didn't take communion. He didn't feed the poor. He didn't pray the sinner's prayer. In fact, the only following of Jesus that he did was to follow him into the grave. And yet he was saved. It seems incredible and unique, but really, if you have submitted to the authority of Christ in your life, then his story is your story. It's my story. We were the condemned person, hanging powerlessly, waiting for the end to come. But in submitting to the Lordship of Christ, our very identity changes. We were dead, belonging to the world, but now we are made alive, belonging to him. Everything we do following our submission to Christ as Lord is not in order to finish Christ's work on the cross and earn our salvation, but because of Christ's finished work on the cross, because we have been saved. Everything from that point forward that we do, we just follow him into heaven. Jesus declares in John chapter 15, verse 16, that you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in, my, in the name of my Father will give you. Folks, it's already true that God chose us. God says he knew us before the foundations of the world. Ephesians 2 chapter says, Chapter, 10, chapter 2, 10 says that we are God's handiwork and that he created us not only to do good things, but that he prepared those things to do for us in advance. The question is, have you repented and known Christ as Lord? If not, are you ready to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him? If so, come talk to me after the service. Come talk to one of the staff. Maybe talk to the person next to you. The folks getting baptized today have done that. Their identity has changed because Jesus Christ is the Lord of their lives. And today, what they are doing is declaring that to all of you. Folks, let us pray. Please join me. Father, it is such a privilege to be in this place today to witness this. We are so very thankful that because of the death of your son on the cross, you made a way that we could come back to you. And that part of that way is declaring 
declaring our faith in Christ and being baptized and declaring that publicly, Father. And we are so very thankful for the privilege of being able to see this happen. Father, as uh, we go forward through today for all of the folks getting baptized, would you speak into their hearts? Would you lead them in the way everlasting? And would you allow their witness, would you allow our witness of their actions to soften our hearts and if we need to, to come back to you, Father? Lord, we pray these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, everyone.